This episode of Home Truths is sponsored by Harlequin, the premier destination for inspirational design and colour. Stories was like a release because it was like old Instagram, like where you didn't have to care about your feed being so beautiful because my Instagram kind of transitioned the actual feed into essentially a portfolio. I still share some things about my family and in, in there, not, not a ton, um, but stories is where you can really just like, it doesn't matter if it's lit beautifully. From Living at Searcher magazine, this is Home Truths, a show about the fascinating stories behind some of the most iconic pieces, movements and moments of modern design, revealed by the designers themselves. I'm Pip Cormack, and on the show today, how Sarah Sherman Samuel used an old school blog and a new platform called Instagram to pivot her career from graphic design to interiors, becoming a successful home renovator who has worked on houses like that belonging to the actress Mandy Moore and had her own place featured on Living Etc's cover this summer. Sarah Sherman Samuel's approach to her career is a modern one. She didn't have a set path and moved across the country a couple of times, going where the wind took her and landing jobs where she could when she arrived. But her flair for taking a good photograph, coupled with some early career training in spatial design, saw her deciding to renovate her own home and document it online. Her California sunshine aesthetic resonated and her product began to be shared and reshared, growing her an army of fans who still follow along to catch a glimpse of her beautifully lit home. So beautifully lit, in fact, that when we put a corner of her house on our cover, complete with a mustard yellow armchair and dappled light shining through, the cover line that summed up her approach simply said, golden hour. Sarah's career begins in Miami, where she moved because her sister happened to have also been relocating there from Michigan, and she thought, why not? So she joined an ad agency, and well, it wasn't quite to her taste. This is actually the last episode of Home Truths this year. We're taking a break, and season three will be back in 2021. There are 15 other episodes still up wherever you get your podcasts, full of peeks behind the curtains of how some of the most successful people in the design industry got to where they are today. From Athena Calderon to Jonathan Adler, Yinka Elori to Abigail Ahern, there's great advice for anyone trying to grow and build their brand. But back to Sarah and that first job in Miami. I did not love that job. Um, it was just a lot of typesetting, essentially. Uh, a lot of our clients were high-end real estate clients, like the Viceroy, which is a big hotel and residence people can buy or stay there as a hotel. Um, and St. Regis and buildings like that. They would do all the marketing materials for them, including like sales brochures. And so it was my job to go through those sales brochures and comb through the type and make sure all the paragraphs lined up. So yeah, basically just pushing type around a page on a computer screen. Um, Sometimes since the buildings were getting built at the same time, we were creating the marketing materials, the the floor plans would slightly change. And so we'd have to make those changes on the sales brochures. Um, I remember one time in particular, it was, I hadn't started all that long before this, but I ended up being like the only person in the office staying until like 1030 at night, pushing these little tiny lines, making, changing a wall here, putting a door here instead of here. And I was just like, what am I doing? (laughs) It clearly is 
working in interiors, but it's very, you know, it's the real technical end of interiors. It's so far from what people think of as the fun end of, you know, picking the cushions and picking the paint colours. It's very nuts and boltsy, and it must have given you a real understanding of space. Right, yeah, I guess I didn't think of it that way at the time, but I am, I am such a spatial person, so I did pick, like, and plus they paired it with the renderings and the sketches and everything so it was I did love living in that universe so it was like I dip was able to dip my toe in interiors right away but almost by proxy like I wasn't doing the designing of course by any means but I I got to see it happening and focus on the little minutia of details of flow and, and all that with the floor plan. Right. And, and and I understand it was here that you sort of discovered the work of Kelly Wurstler as well, or around this kind of period. Right, exactly. Because her client, one of them was Viceroy, which she designed. And that was not like super early on in her career. But I feel like now she's done tons, tons more um, hotel projects. But and, and what was it about her work that kind of grabbed you so much? It was just so imaginative, especially coming from Michigan. It was all things that I wasn't used to seeing growing up. We lived in two neighborhoods that were all new builds. And so it was new builds in the 80s, 90s, um, using very, I don't know, whatever they use, like vinyl siding and seeing just the work of Kelly Wurstler. And I think it was also my graphic design background. I was so drawn to, I think that period was when she was still in that Hollywood Regency um era and where it's like she used a lot of graphic shapes and patterns and mixing different elements that I was just so drawn to from I think because just seeing kind of that graphic graphic nature applied to interiors was like oh wow this is new and this is this is exciting and she does that today still and I, and I yeah. do see- I see a bit of a through line between some of the kind of really modern shapes that she uses and some of the things that appear in your own work. Is that do you still feel an influence anywhere within what you do today from 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 what you know you learned from her or see saw, saw in her work? Um, I mean, it's funny because she's. I mean, my I I'm probably way more pared back than than yeah. her, <laughs> but she does the pattern mixing so well. Um, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure I'm directly influenced without even knowing it just because I love her work so much. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so after that job, you were working in a furniture store. So the next one was, um, this family owned furniture shop that was, they did a lot of modern furniture um, and I was a sales associate. I mean, is that what you even call it? (laughs) I was essentially a shop girl. (laughs) Um, where I, yeah, help customers pick out furniture. Um, but then it grew to, like, I did a lot of the merchandising. They had these big, beautiful glass windows right on Lincoln Road in Miami Beach. And I would get to style those and move furniture around and style vignettes within the store. And, and then clients would then come and ask for help with their space planning. And it grew more and more. And then by I was doing a lot of the buying at the end of it, like accessories and furniture buying. And I, I kind of think of sort of Florida style 
of being its own sort of separate entity. You know, it's very different from, you know, this is hugely general, of course, but it's very different from what you see in LA and it's very different from what you see in New York and it's very different from what you see in London. Were you sort of just responding to what was around you or were you like, how, what, what, what were your kind of inspirations at that time or, or what sort of, what was your aesthetic like at that time, if you remember? Oh, goodness. I don't think it was, it was so, I was so young and just getting started that I don't think it was that formed yet. Um, There is that Miami Beach, like ultra modern um, look down there, which I didn't love. I I like things to be a bit warmer, but there was this one house that I remember going into that I just thought was the coolest house ever that I worked on the interiors a little bit of um I don't even know it had a little bit of that Hollywood Regency aspect there was like this curved really cool bar in the living room and it was like sunken down and I don't know so then so you're doing that for a while and then then you LA was your next big move but what happened for you to want to move coast so my friend I had that I went to design school with she moved to LA when I moved to Miami and I did the road trip with her from Chicago to LA to move her out there. And we had so much fun um, on that road trip. And she basically from the beginning was always trying to get me to move to LA. <laughs> and then when I was working at that shop, um, I loved it and I loved that job, but I knew I was going to hit the ceiling quickly. And I just figured now, like that was the time LA probably had a ton more creative opportunities Miami was still I mean it was growing but design wise it wasn't art Basel wasn't even that huge uh, then so I just figured yeah why not so she then came out and we did this road trip together from Miami to LA to move me out you know I've seen enough movies to know what it's like when people move with big dreams to to LA what was (laughs) what was it like for you and where did you find that bravery to do it I mean, I was pretty fearless back then. I don't know. I just figured, like, I'll figure it out. I figured I figured it out. I also had met my, now, my husband now, um, we met in Miami. And he, at the same time, like, we had just started dating. And we were both saying, oh, like, we're both going to, we're both going to be moving to LA. Like, that's pretty crazy. Because we ended up moving, I think, five months after we had met for the first time. And we didn't even go on our first date for, like, a month after we met because he was traveling so much I think we had I don't know maybe like five dates (laughs) what was your first apartment in LA like what did it look like it was in Santa Monica and it was it was a sweet like I remember it being so hard we applied to so many apartments and we couldn't it was like competitive rental market um and then we finally found this sweet one on the second floor it was just a two-story building but it's the kind where the stairs are on the outside and the and the door opens out into the open air but we lucked out and it had like wood floors and the kitchen wasn't horrific but I mean when you're 20 whatever I think no kitchen is too horrific (laughs) beggars can't be choosers at that age I love this because obviously you know your home is so familiar to people who follow you now because you know it's such an inspiration now so I love thinking of what of other places you've lived and, and what they may have look like because I lived alone in Miami Beach so I found a studio apartment um it had like the living area which most people would put the bed in there but it also had kind of a little dining nook off the kitchen but I was like I want a living room so I put my bed where the dining nook is so that I could just have that 
open living space and people could come over and I could have a sofa and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I slept by the, by the kitchen, <laughs> the little kitchen now. But I also had the really cool, the closet, um, like Carrie Bradshaw, where it's like you walk through a big walk-in closet to get to the bathroom. Yeah. Which was cool. And it was like $800 a month. And I lived two blocks from the beach in Miami Beach. And I, but I painted the walls like this horrific green color, but I couldn't afford another color <laughs> paint. <laughs> and so I lived with that terrible green color paint. It was awful. It was like kind of a too saturated pea green. Like it was just, it was bad. But I first landed, I got a job at a stationery store. And I did their custom stationery, like wedding invitation. So I went back to graphic, fell back on graphic design, um, essentially just because it was the first job I got. Because I moved without having a job yet. It was, it was fun. Then um, I got to do like, you know, high, like w- wedding invitation suites and things like that. I, re- <laughs> I remember doing a cat funeral invitation. It's like really like this woman spent thousands of dollars on stationery for her cat funeral, which is interesting. Only in LA, I think. <laughs> and and what was that job like for you? Were you happy there? Yeah, it was it was nice. It was a small company, and there was the um, the rest of the people that worked there were, were kind of older, like in their forties, fifties, sixties. So as a twenty something, it wasn't like I was making a big friend base. <laughs> But it was the same thing. It was a small company, and I knew I'd hit the ceiling quite early on, which which happened. I was like, okay, this was really fun and fulfilling for a little while. Um, but then I knew I wanted to move on. So then was your – because you, the work ethic that you displayed at the advertising company, you know, working so late, was that something that kind of ca- you carried over to, to your life in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of just my – growing up that midwest work ethic because <laughs> i grew up in michigan which is a, a thing um yeah it's hard to turn that off they were just good at time management and having a work live balance there kind of built in that must have worked really well for you because you mentioned earlier that you're, you know you're, you work very quickly so having like a structure and an organizational chart must be something i imagine that you have carried with you today and everything you do does that is that fair Right, you would hope. Um, <laughs> and there's, I go through moments of great organization, and then things get a little crazy, and things get <laughs> out thrown out the window, like when COVID, you know, <laughs> when you when you don't have childcare suddenly, and then the whole schedule gets thrown up in the air. But yeah, I try. That's <laughs> the organization. I'm much better if somebody else outlines the time frame, and then I can stick to it. <laughs> so your next role so that was working that was creating products to sell to target i think right the next the next and that really did take over your life from what i believe oh right yes yes yeah it was that was working for a startup which so when i first started it was i was the first full-time hire with the owners was a husband wife team and they used to they were at first a art licensing company where they would um Get, generate art or buy art and then sell it to different pro- companies that make products and they'd put the art on their products. But then they figured out along the way that, okay, let's make our own products and marry our own art to the products. So that's when I started. They had gotten one three ring binder in 
um, Target as a product in Target. So it was like a paper wrapped binder. It was like the first recycled binder in Target. And then, um, yeah, so I started there generating artwork, working with artists to generate more artwork and then marrying them to different products, which is basically journals, different notebook formats, portfolios, any type of office magazine files, all that. And then also stationery. I brought um, stationery to them. They weren't sure they wanted to get into stationery because it's a whole nother buyer at Target as well in a different category. Um, but yeah, I was able to bring that to them and now they still have stationery at Target. So at this point, it's starting to look a bit like your foray into kind of, you know, real, in inverted commas, interiors at the furniture store was a blip and that kind of graphic design and stationery is really the way to go um it, or it's certainly that's kind of the dots of your career is um at that time were you thinking that you know stationery and graphic design was the way to go or what, what were you thinking uh well I, I i didn't think very far ahead i don't think um but product i let i fell in love with product the getting the pattern and artwork when it got wrapped onto a three-dimensional product that i loved and um, analyzing sales and seeing what sells at Target like all of it was so exciting and moving so fast and it was so fulfilling because we were always creating new things I didn't think I wanted to do stationery forever for sure but I don't know what my turning point was <laughs> I just want to interrupt this conversation to tell you a little bit about the iconic momentum ranges from Harlequin from organic-inspired wallpapers to architectural geometric fabrics, this contemporary range has looks to suit any home, allowing you to embrace colour and be bold with design. I'm particularly into the subtle metallic gleam of the element texture wallpaper, which is as sophisticated as it is beautiful. To keep up to date with all the latest inspiration from Harlequin, follow at HarlequinFW on Instagram. Harlequin, the premier destination for inspirational design and colour. But it was around this time where you decided that you know, working, you know, million hour days wasn't quite enough for you and you wanted to start a blog as well, because why not? <laughs> well, I guess that transition was because, so after I worked there about three or four years, we had a big, big inline assortment at Target. We had tons of products in and then we realized what worked, like what format worked, what artwork type worked, and then it became churning out more of the same. Like, so it was so creative for so long and exciting. But then suddenly it was like, okay, let's just keep regurgitating the same thing. We got the formula down. Let's just keep doing it. So that's when my creativity kind of died. Like, I love being challenged. I like doing new things. And um, that was when it was like, eh, okay, <laughs> like, boom. So that's when I started the blog. And we bought this cabin that was a total fixer. And we started renovating that. And I started the blog to track it and have my own, yeah, creative outlet on the side. What did the website look like at the beginning? Was it just some kind of like Tumblr or WordPress? Oh, or... yeah, it was just a word. Was it? No, there's like blogger. Is, was that a thing? Yeah, at first it was just like a free blogger website. I think that's what it was called, right? Yeah, and then I... Okay. Then I switched over to WordPress and like customized it a little bit. Was the photography that you were putting up at the beginning, was it very amateur or was was it already started to be a bit stylized? Well, photography has kind of been a 
through like I've always loved photography. I took photography classes in college as well. Not that it, like any interior photographer was not great, but <laughs> um, Instagram had come out, I think, right around the same time. And while everyone else was like sharing selfies and the whole time, I kind of already was using it, just taking. I mean, if I look back, I would say they're not beautiful photos now, but I was trying to like make it beautiful, make the feed beautiful, like take just find beauty in the everyday. And so I was kind of already doing that. And I'd share that on the blog as well. I had these like from the weekend roundup, and that would be a blog post I would do, like selecting some photos I thought were pretty from my Instagram feed. And were people starting to just kind of come to the blog through Instagram? So they were like finding you because on Instagram, it's quite easy to find people, I guess. And then, and then you were sort of, you know, promoting the blog through your Insta feed. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And then Pinterest, like once I had like images of, of my interiors. So the, the cabin I I shared, I mean, it's still on my blog now. You can look back and see how terrible my photos were, (laughs) but the, I did try at least um, on the final photos of like the before and afters and stuff, and you you would see. And I remember the kitchen in our in that cabin got picked up a few times by first by Cup of Joe, I think, and she has such a loyal that blogger has such a big loyal following that that gave such an influx of readers. Um, and then it got picked up like by Design Sponge and. Yeah, that was when it started to go astronomical for you. Was that also when it stopped being a hobby and something that you were just doing for fun and started to be something where you were like, mm, I could actually make something of this and change my career? Um, I don't, it definitely wasn't like monetarily <laughs> changing anything because uh, I didn't do ads. That was one thing I didn't want to have these like Google ads and ads plastered. I wanted the site to always be beautiful. Um, and of course I could have made a lot more money, I'm sure, <laughs> doing those ads. I still, I could, but, um, I just didn't want to do that. So I didn't really see it. It was still a hobby. It was still a hobby for quite some time, but I did see the audience growing and, and knowing like the more eyes you have on something, the more helpful it is when I do launch whatever I do want to do. So I did see it as like, okay, this will be a good tool in the future, um, I think, but not knowing what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, and I guess as well, it really showed that people were responding positively to right. things that you liked, which must have been a confidence booster. Yeah, that was the main thing, was the confidence it gave me that, okay, other people are into my aesthetic and what I'm doing. So I think I've, I think I've got it. And then also knowing, um, like I built, help to build up their line in target for under them and it was just like such a small team and that I was able to grow that and and then I I became creative director so it was then I was able to build a team under me and um and the company just continued to grow and grow and grow so I'm like okay I could did it for someone else like surely I could do it for myself too I wonder if it ever becomes a chore to make things look lovely or whether things just kind of naturally happen and you snap them. Pre-kids in LA, it was very easy to curate a little lovely tablescape. And I mean, 
you have time on your hands, <laughs> so much more time on your hands when you don't have kids. Um, and that was what I was able to do. And that's I, also what I was into. Like I loved entertaining and I loved dressing up and going out. And, um, and so that's kind of what my, what I naturally shared along with interiors. Cause I obviously always loved interiors. Um, and then I had kids and that takes up an enormous amount of your time. Um, and which is all not glamorous or beautiful by any means. And not that I hid that part. It was just, I was busy, <laughs> busy with work and busy with the kids and any snapshots I'd share. Um, unless it was like a staged photo shoot, obviously that's completely curated and not natural, but I think stories was like a release. Cause it was like old Instagram, like where you didn't have to, care about your feed being so beautiful because my Instagram kind of transitioned the actual feed into essentially a portfolio. I still share some things about my family and, and in, in there, not, not a ton. Um, but stories is where you can really just like, it doesn't matter if it's lit beautifully or whatever. I still like to take beautiful photos. So when I see that the lighting's beautiful and Clover's doing something cute, that's when I'll naturally snap a photo. So somewhere along the line, it changed from caring about curating and having it be visually beautiful to now I share more real life. And it still ends up, I think, being beautiful because I'll, I have the eye to like see, oh, there's the lights cascading here or Clover's doing something funny but the, my surroundings are beautiful. Like that we've made our house and the whole backdrop beautiful. So you kind of almost can't take a bad photo. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a roundabout way of saying this, but I feel like I don't shelter, like I'll share a disastrous, like when the kids run through the living room, take out every toy and throw the Legos and throw the magnetiles everywhere. So there's like covered everywhere. I'll share that too. I wonder, what's really interesting to me then is, did you create your house with the understanding that it would be a good backdrop for photographs? Or is it just naturally a good backdrop for photographs because it's beautiful because you've created it? I think I do think about that. Even in clients' homes, like I did Grant's story, who she has uh, her own platform and website with a huge following. So thinking about how places will photograph I do think of that as I'm designing so yes I but also that's kind of how my eye works like as I'm designing I think okay this is how this is going to look flat as well as how it works two-dimensional which that then translates to beautiful photos as well as beautiful in person there's been a time over the years where Instagram's got a bad rap people are like oh you're just doing it for the gram or whatever but actually I think if you're creating like a nice moment, like for maybe pre-Instagram, perhaps one wouldn't have, you know, bought an extra bunch of flowers or created a little fruit bowl on the table, but you're doing that. And it also is nice. Yeah. I think I've gotten just sick of it and over it in the last probably year or two. I don't know. And then I kind of look back and think it's funny that I work so hard to create those things. It feels freeing, not, having to think about that but obviously I also don't post near as much like before I was posting I don't know at least a few times a week 
sometimes like every day, once a day. Now, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I haven't posted in like a week or two. I should probably put something on my feet. Uh, <laughs> but just to keep things going. Um, but it is freeing not having to think about generating so much content and all that stuff. I don't know. I definitely look at it differently. So funny. Such a strange thing to be talking about an app. Like it's No, it's fascinating because it's, it's such a big tool in your career and it's such a big part of so many people's lives as well that I think right. I mean, I have so much to owe to it too. I've met friends, like some of my best friends I ended up meeting through Instagram years ago. And clients, I get clients because of my work. I mean, it is really for me, it is a portfolio. It's um it's so work-based that, yeah, I don't. Is that how uh, Mandy Moore's house came about? Was that through Instagram? Well, that was a friend of a friend. And then I'm sure, yeah, she looked at Instagram, but she had also pinned some of my images of my work that she didn't even know was mine at the beginning with. So when her friend was like, oh, you should look at um, Sarah Sherman Samuel. And then she looked at my stuff. She was like, oh, I've already pinned some of her stuff. So yeah, that was like a just having my work and images out there worked out well what was that project like that was the best I mean she and Taylor who now they're married they weren't married at the time but um they were together at the time so they're just both such lovely clients and then I worked with Emily Farnham was the interior architect and it was just the best team and and then her as a client she's just so sweet so down to earth but also decisive and involved but not, I don't know, not like, okay, show me a bazillion things. She was just always, she knew what she wanted. And then we'd show her, give her like one or two options. And, and she would fall in love with one or two. Or if it was two or three, then she'd be like, oh, I love them both. I can't decide. You pick. So it was like, she like gave us full creative reign. And then, but also made it, we were able to make it for her because she was so involved. And do people come to you with a like tight brief or do people come to you because they're like you know what I've seen your work on Instagram I just love your aesthetic you do you and you know let's we'll take it from there yeah I mean every client is different but I'm lucky enough now that they most come for my aesthetic and then I also stay the studio's um, very small so I get to be very choosy on which clients I pick so it works both ways. Like I will pick the ones that come specifically for my look. And if it's not a good fit, I'm not going to take it on because it'll just be, yeah. Yeah, because what does your studio, what does it mean to have a studio? So do you have a team or what have you got? Right, right now? No. <laughs> so in, in LA, I just had two. Um, so it was like the three of us in LA. And then when we moved, I still have, I work with a lot of freelancers. Like I just did a project in New York. And so I had a New York project manager for that project. And then same with Nashville. And um, and I have a drafter that I work with often remotely as needed. Um, so yeah, it's just me and my nanny right now. <laughs> That's a smart way to work, right? Because you don't have the overheads of paying, you know, wages, but you can call on people you trust and know. And I think that's quite a modern way of working, I think. Right. Yeah. It's worked out really well, especially through the last year with products. I've been switching instead of manufacturing them myself, I've done turned to more licensing. So then they license my designs and, um, and then they do all the manufacturing and the fulfillment. So I'm able to do much more and still stay small. 
when I know that that's another big part of what you do is you have your own products that you designed and um, you've you know you've got various different things that you that you've made and and that, that are being sold but we had the British designer Abigail Hearn on this podcast a few weeks ago and she has not a dissimilar trajectory to yours but she also has her own product lines and she says that she spends much of her 18 hour days dealing with factories in China um, because you know she's kind of working on the on the pieces herself but I your a lot of your pieces are actually collaborations aren't they so I wonder if you're not actually dealing with manufacturers in the same way right exactly um so I've worked both ways and the only way I could continue to do products since our move because not only did we move across the country like <laughs> we didn't have childcare for the first year basically we had a hard time finding someone that was the right fit and reliable uh so I was also designing a hotel at the same time, and it was just a hot mess. Living through our first winter, we didn't have our friends, and, and we were running a renovating house and living in a rental house. So, but product is my passion, and I would be able to design the product, but there was no way I had time to be sourcing and getting the materials and getting the manufacturing down, because I know what all entails that, because I did that for the last company I worked for as well. So yeah, when working on the collaborations it's more of a partnership obviously I don't make as large of margins um, but it's the only way I could keep keep going in that realm basically there's the fearlessness that you mentioned earlier about just you know being brave enough to move across the country and try a new thing does that also translate into a confidence um, in your own ability too? like you you've done so much and you are doing so much but you're not classically trained in in the industry and I wonder if you just have a self-belief that you can just do it anyway. Yeah, I um, I don't always have the confidence. <laughs> I think I still sometimes have imposter syndrome, big time. That, I'm like, what am I doing? Um, however, but yeah, I think growing up, my dad, he's a engineer um, by trade, a computer network engineer, and just all around very smart human. And he... I get that from him where it's like, I'll just figure it out. Like if someone knows how to do it, I can learn how to do it and do it. Like it's, I feel like with anything, I mean, I'm not going to do surgery on somebody obviously, (laughs) but I'm a quick learner. I think studying in real life settings, you learn way faster by going through renovations, by going through your own renovations, learning all the aspects is so much more important, I think. With just like in any job, you go through college, like I learned so many things in graphic design, design fundamentals, like, but then you get on your first job and that's when like the real learning happens in doing. Um so yeah, I think learning as I go and and working with different people, learning from them and collaborating and just learning by doing. I feel like that's the the best way to do it. And that's just how I've done it. Now, Sarah, I have a question I like to ask everybody. And I think I already know the answer from what you're going to say. Have you ever had a master plan? And if you have, how close are you to it today? Oh, right. Yeah, definitely never had a master plan. (laughs) I mean, the funny thing too, is I've just um, been trying to define my own version of success. Like, 
I think the master plan was always just to be successful doing what I want and kind of never stop learning. And now we just bought some property um, and we're going to do our first new build. So it's like, it's a new project and a new thing I've never done before, but still in my lane. Like I've definitely found my lane and now I get to pick and choose all different things, different projects that I get to do within that. So, Sarah, we're, we've got one little section to end the podcast on today, which is called Home Truths. It's the quick fire round of questions. So, Sarah, what was the last piece of homeware that you bought for yourself? I was going to say how the UPS lady here joked. She was like, I've been up this driveway more, more in one year than I have the entire 23 years that the last people lived here. Um, there's so much. Okay, I just got to pick one. What came in last? What did I just open? Oh, a rug pad. That's boring. <laughs> yep, a rug pad. I just opened it so that the, my office wouldn't be so echoey when we talked. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's very thoughtful. Um, Sarah, did you pick up any hobbies in lockdown? Um, I did a ton of baking. I always loved baking, but I haven't. It was a, a revived hobby, I think, of baking. Well, that leads on to my next question very nicely, which is, have you got a favorite cookbook? So Sweet Laurel Bakery, which is like all grain-free baking. And I don't know how, like, it's the simplest ingredients, but it all tastes insane amazing. What's your favorite dish from it that you've done? These chocolate muffins, which I'm like, are they really muffins? Because I think they're cupcakes, but they're called chocolate <laughs> But they are all like really good, like almond flour and cow and I don't know all really great stuff ingredients what ambitions do you have left if any oh loads I don't know I'm like I want to do it all <laughs> and and then and then lastly Sarah where can people find you on the internet or see more of your work oh yeah Sarah Sherman Samuel.com perfect well good luck with your renovation and thank you so much for your time today oh yeah no problem thank you it was great talking to you and thank you so much for listening we'll be back next year with another season of home truths and in the meantime have a rummage through our back catalogue of episodes and don't forget to pick up the latest issue of living etc in stores now follow us on instagram on at living etc uk and me on at pit mccormack see you next year this episode of home truths is sponsored by harlequin the premier destination for inspirational design and colour